Hi and welcome to this new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And there is a fly in my room, so there is three of us today on this episode. Which is, <laughs> one, of, uh, one of whom is talking sense. Yeah, at least one of them. Um, <laughs> this is episode 12, so welcome everybody. And the fly. Today we wanted to have a chat around uh, how we can uh, personalize our experience with computers through a whole number of tools that uh, are becoming more and more available and more and more sophisticated uh, and which are all based on, on AI and on machine learning and on the idea of computers becoming smarter and uh, uh, in a way making decisions for us. And uh, I, I was just reading about uh, a, a startup called Clockwise, uh, which recently raised uh, $11 million. And what they do is they deploy an AI that is able to look and compare the calendars of a group of people working together and rearrange meeting in the calendar in order to optimize the time and possibly find free time where people can do actual work instead of going to the meetings. And uh, I think that it, it is interesting how more and more we have these uh, little pieces of intelligence that are entering our professional and personal life and uh, changing things for us and optimizing things for us and and as we were saying you have been doing this kind of hacks and tricks for a long time right well i mean yeah certainly i mean i i love tinkering with stuff and the fact that for some time now ios has in a very basic way if you go into settings and surrey uh you can see some prompts where it notices things that you've done relatively often and, and suggest that you could turn that into a shortcut and then you could have a voice activation through Siri that would just trigger it and uh, run it for you and just talking about the developer conference last week in, in um, San Francisco where they were showing off the next level of that if you like where the shortcuts is actually built into the operating system so that gives it access to a whole bunch of core stuff point of that being that it will know when you connect a particular Wi-Fi network, um, it will know when you've started using a particular app. And all of those can then be used at your at your instigation to trigger a, a set of actions. So you can automate a whole bunch of actions. So, you know, you can imagine if I'm starting to use, say, Word, start tracking my time. And that means that if you're a writer, it will automatically be capturing the amount of time you spent on a particular project. And so lots of little things like that are becoming increasingly easy. And the other thing that they were showing off was the fact that it can now have a dialogue. So, you know, the, the automation can ask you questions back. You know, I, you could trigger something that says, do you want this or do you want that? And you choose one or the other. And then a different set of actions follow on as a consequence of that. And I was listening to a podcast that was making the point that in some ways, at a very basic level, that's programming. And, you know, I've often ranted about the fact that it's such a shame that in schools we, we lurched from teaching kids how to use PowerPoint to teaching them how to code. Because I think, yes, it's useful to understand how to code. I mean, I only, at a very, very superficial level, understand that sort of stuff. 
But it's clear that in the future, fewer and fewer people will actually need to code because the systems will do it for you and you'll be able to interact, as the case with Siri, with your voice. You know, I need to do this, this, and then this, if that, and it will just go off and do it for you. So it's just incredible because it's sort of beginning to be there now. Oh, well, I mean, it's... uh well, Apple envisioned that in, I think it was 1987, the <laughs> Knowledge <laughs> yep, Navigator. The Knowledge remember? Navigator, that's right, yeah. But, uh, I mean, clearly, even if you look at how code is written these days, actual code by professional programmers, you know, we're moving higher and higher in the in the stack and yeah. uh, with, with more and more level of abstraction. So it's perfectly reasonable to think that with the, reasonably sophisticated AI you can create uh, you can write software just by talking to a machine and uh, and explaining what you want um, of course the challenge is uh, do you know what you want describing that time optimizing thing do I really want all my days to be completely jam-packed from minute to minute Mm. Well, I mean, I, 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 to be fair, the, my understanding of what this company is trying to do is actually create free time by right. optimizing. Because they basically say, because people are not very good at optimizing time, they end up being having all these fractions of time occupying their whole day. If we can actually work on that, we can probably optimize, literally optimize time, not in order to let you to allow you to do more things or have more free time or, or just work less. Um, yeah. So I, I just I, had a crack, cracking idea for a bit of AI that could track the outputs or the consequences of meetings. So you could imagine sort of this meeting happened on this date, these were the undertakings, and then the system would know whether any of them ever got done. <laughs> well, that would, be, that, would, that would be the end of all consulting firms. <laughs> In, well, in my experience, yeah. you basically go to a meeting and you say, "So, what did we discuss last time?" And you, you're half an hour. <laughs> Let, to let's it. discuss it again. Then basically, you decide that uh, none of the thing that you had were supposed to do has been done, and then you decide again you're going to do it for next meeting, and off you go. That's right. <laughs> no, but well, I mean, and of course, if the managers escape from meetings, you've just unleashed them on the organisation, which may or not be a good thing. I, I do think that uh, by introducing some kind of intelligence uh, between events or between the jobs that we need to perform, we could uh, we could work in a much better and much more yeah. efficient way. So yeah. it's not necessary. We're not saying that there is going to be an intelligent replacing us, at least. Not for now, but there might be intelligence that is going to help us being doing better what humans do better. So something that you know collects all the information that you need before you start doing something, yep. or that uh, displays the things that you need to, have to to see when you need to see them. Uh, something that optimizes access to information. All these stuff. I'm pretty sure that we are. I mean, we are already seeing significant changes, and I think that there will be more and more changes coming very, very quickly. I guess that the the problem is not how smart the AI is. I think that the problem is smart, how smart we are, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the sense that uh, 
I mean, if I think about yourself and and the work that you do to optimize your work, it's it's fascinating. I mean, every time we meet, you trigger some cool macro. I'm fascinated. But you're pretty much the only, almost the only person I know that does that. <laughs> I'm just weird. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, you're no, you're special. Uh, but uh, I mean, I guess that is how much do we need to lower the entry threshold to mm. that point mm. before it becomes, you know, if not mainstream, at least uh, uh, more common than it is. And. I think that we are basically waiting for the right type of user interface to come out, for the right type of uh, of uh, interaction that will start making, creating these macros, creating information, or asking for help, effective and easy. And you know, I started using Siri to take to to write stuff in my shopping list. Just because it's faster to tell Siri, write something in my shopping list, add something to my shopping list, that literally to pull out the phone, pull yes. out an app. Do I mean, that it was a much quicker thing. Or to set up reminders. Remind me to do things that day at the time because yes. the interaction with the calendar and the date and the time picker is a, a little... It's a, it's a little uncomfortable. It's actually much easier just to tell Siri to do it. And well, it's uh, also, it all depends on your circumstances. I was just saying that when I'm driving my trucks, I can't. I don't want to take my hands off the wheel for any length of time and faff about with phones. I mean, that would be illegal apart from anything else. But all I need to do is raise my watch to my mouth, and I can say things like "remind me to do this," or I can even take notes. I can. I'm making diary entries about different things that have happened during the day, just as a kind of professional log, if you like. And I can do all of that through through my watch, you know, and, and so you're right, I think. But that even that, many people don't know they can do that. And, you know, discoverability is a big thing. I noticed Apple are dropping the um, force press thing on, on the iOS because just so few people were using it and it confused them that it worked on some devices and not on others. And uh, actually, it was quite interesting because I listened to a podcast with Craig Frederiki, who's the head of software, mm-hmm. and he was saying that they're very aware of the fact that for many kids, young kids, an iPad may be their first computing device. And certainly for older folks, my, both my parents have now insisted that they both use iPads because I've just got less hassle to, to deal with. Um, but equally, there's a kind of middle body of people like me who want to tinker and do more with them. And it's a real challenge accommodating, like you said, the range of different expectations that there are. I think that, I, I also think that to to some degree there is uh, there are some deficiencies in uh, how apple is uh, offering features to mm-hmm. users in the sense that uh, uh, i i have read uh, i mean there, there are some major ui thinkers who have been criticizing apple for for a long time and some of them actually come from apple saying mm-hmm. that uh, Apple has been not following its own initial rules about discoverability of features, about making things uh, uh, evident, uh, about supporting the fact that users try to do things. I mean, there are some features that are just completely hidden. If you don't know that it is there, you will never find it. You're not going to stumble across it, yeah. 
And I and I think that to some degree, even to, even for developers, uh, given that you need to 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 work within the constraints of uh, of Apple guidelines, it's uh, all too easy to create features that uh, are never going to be found. I mean, for example, the shortcuts that you were the Siri shortcuts that you were, were mentioning. I mean, they're brilliant, but. Uh, how do you tell people that they are there? I mean, of course, you can put an alert out from time to time, but it is annoying and yeah, yeah. it's hard to it's hard to explain them how to use them. I well, suppose. So, so what, one of the one of the things about them being built into the into the operating system now is that they will be on every device, and so long as people turn on the ability to accept new shortcuts, I could write a shortcut that I know would help my dad and send it to him. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to know it's there. I can. I can know it's there if you like. Yeah, but in any case, uh, you need to enable users to find out that you can do that. I mean, you 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 need to create. Uh, I think that one of the main differences that there are between modern interaction with computers and uh, you know the type of interaction that we used to do back in the tinkering days is that uh, most users have a very fractioned interaction with with apps. You don't spend a lot of time with one single application. You actually yeah. jump back and forth between things. Yeah. So even to me as a, as a software designer, even trying to intrude in the interaction of a user and say, hey, why don't you check this out? Very often, you know, they don't have time. Not now. They, they are not sitting there trying mm. things. Very often they're just trying to achieve something and any type of exploration is actually going to get in the way of them achieving something. But what if it, because I can, you know, as we were saying earlier, I can imagine the next, well, it's already the next level of, software development is where the AI is watching well as, as, as I said the, the very basic Siri prompts are, are, are an example of where the phone's kind of aware of what you're doing and will prompt you things but there's already systems watching what people do at work and if you've done the same repetitive sequence of events it'll sort of pop up and say do you want me to automate this I notice you've done it five times today sort of thing um, so yeah, I can imagine again that, that could destroy whole industries of, of <laughs> well, perhaps. But I think it's what we're we're moving towards, which is where you don't have to know. You almost don't have to know that you don't know, because um, the system will know that you don't know, and then it could help. Yes, well, that is definitely, and it is to some degree what Siri has been trying to do for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you, you do get this uh, uh, softly suggested recommendations that sometimes are right, sometimes are wrong. Um, I mean, on uh, on your birthday a few days ago, I mean, for the whole day, my phone was saying, do you want to call you on? And like, no, <laughs> really. It's like, and that, that was for 24 hours, it was like... No, really, you want to call you on? I was like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's like, and it, it, it oh, does. I, mean, I, was, I was waiting for you to call Paolo. Yeah, probably because Siri on your phone say Paolo's going to call anytime. Yeah, Paolo's about to call you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, so, but so, you know, it was, it was interesting because I, I'm not, I, it, 
it was like the second time it happened. So out of thousands of contacts I have, it, mm-hmm. it uh, quite correctly it decided that you are a closer relationship than than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, giving a recommendation. So that that was actually clever. I should have called. I, I apologize. Yeah, so, well, there so, you go. Sorry. I know. I know. Sorry, I mean, but yeah, yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, even the, the kind of granddaddy of them all, the, the kind of Amazon recommendation system, it's far from perfect. Um, and the much lauded, you know, we've talked many times about the Facebook algorithms, which are meant to be advertising stuff to me, and you just sort of half the time think, where on earth did you think I might be interested in that? You know, so as long as, so as, long as the things are that uh, unreliable or imprecise, you know, there's a way to go. Well, the Amazon recommendation algorithm apparently is going to be available to you soon on, as an AWS service. Uh, Interesting. I think they announced it. If I'm not mistaken, they announced it this very recently. Uh, so if you right. y- you will be able to uh, build your own recommendation uh, based on their engine. So of I'm I'm guessing different, not necessarily products or services, but just on whatever you pointed at, presumably. Oh yes, yes. You can basically you, you can teach the your own catalog, and then uh, by observing the behavior of your client, uh, the the system will be able to provide recommendations. I mean, I think that this is even more interesting to some degree. If at any point in the future we will have a system that uh, allows to build software by talking to a machine and this machine can actually reach out to APIs across the different uh, services providers. So, you know, I could talk to Siri and Siri could interact, uh, could, you know, decide to use a a service from AWS to do something and a service from Google to do something else uh, and a service from, you know, one small provider and uh, basically merge them together to create to, to satisfy your request yeah. that becomes that becomes even more interesting and it's uh, of course Siri is uh, actually listening to me and, and writing down everything I'm saying uh-huh. <laughs> um, yes but, un, but unlike uh, Alexa it's no, not going further than your phone but that that is actually the I, I think potentially that would be liberating Siri. I mean, uh, allowing Siri to extend uh, farther mm. outside mm-hmm. the, you know, little walled garden of your phone or even the walled garden of uh, Apple ecosystem and reach out to other services. But this, is, this is such a, a good example of the technology being neither good nor evil in the sense that you know, it's frustrating sometimes if when I use my iPad, which I use less than the iPhone. My iPhone's very good. Siri on the iPhone is very good. Siri on the watch is particularly good at understanding me and what I mean, which is why I'm using it as much as I am now. The iPad less so, because I use the iPad less. I use Siri on the iPad less. And because of Apple's, I think, positive disinclination to merge it all together... You know, it's like photos. I mean, for a while there was a, a, a they only recently allowed the photos engine to learn from what you'd done on one photos app. And so I, you know, I've often said I'll, I'll pay the premium for Apple because I'm more confident that my data is not being misused. But if then I want to be able to do cool stuff, and look, and then this is what I say in my keynotes that what now what might seem like cool stuff now, 
and might be great fun to join up Amazon and Google and blah blah and make all these cool things happen might be a complete dystopian nightmare 10 years down the line when the things that well, I thought were I cool mean, have suddenly become illegal. I don't know where you were living, but it's already a big dystopian nightmare today. So yeah, well, I know. You know, I know. Maybe it's going to be better. Uh, I, it's interesting. I, I never noticed a difference uh, in Siri interactions between devices uh, to the point that I oh, kind of assumed that in some magic with respect to your privacy way it was actually working across devices especially because siri is interpreted server side anyway so why would they well, I, I understood that that was the case and certainly my experience is that even things like uh, on my phone if i'm di- sorry on my ipad if i'm dictating mm-hmm. siri will misspell my name more frequently whereas it gets it right all the time on the iphone even it, do you use the same microphone? How do you mean the same microphone? You say they use the same headset or something, or no, no, I mean, no, this is if I'm talking it, straight it, directly to the device. Because it might be that the microphone on the phone is just better than the microphone. Maybe on the phone. that's so, true. That's, I certainly think that's true with the watch so because it, the watch it, is mic, mic is great. Yeah. It, yeah, maybe it can hear you better. Oh, maybe. the the watch thing. Do, do you know that there is a feature to push the water out? Mm-hmm. When you go swimming, mm-hmm. I went swimming for my with my watch for the first time last mm. week, and it works. I mean, you push the little button and you get the little droplets of water to come out from the side. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> the only problem is that uh, there isn't uh, a, an activity uh, that fits well the description of uh, going swimming in Grado, which is this place that you, you you have been to, where basically you have very shallow water for a mile before you can yes. actually swim. So it's, more it's of a, a walk combination, than a swim, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so it's kind of a combination of a walk, then you swim a little, then you walk <laughs> a little more, then you swim a little. It's it's it. The watch was very confused because it said, "Oh, you're <laughs> done swimming out." No, I'm not done swimming. I'm just waiting to get to the bloody sea. Hang on, oh. this, this guy's walking in the sea. What is this yeah, guy? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. Jesus mode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, it's uh, it's but but the but the thing is that when you're done with it, you roll it and it does a bap bap bap, and you get a little droplets from the side. That's it's, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Fantastic. Anyway, now I when I every time I pick the activity, the workout tool, the first one is a you know outdoor walk, and the second one now is open water swim. Well, there you go. So you're much more more active than I am because I haven't done no, any I only, exercise I only for a long time. I only went swimming twice. I, I'll, I'll That's sh- more than me. I'll share the 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 map because it it keeps track of how much do you actually swim, and it does the little map, which is fantastic. I should use it when I'm kayaking more than I do actually, because that's probably an, an exercise by now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I mean, but that, again, it's just this whole coolness. That you know, you and I get very excited about, and I'm guessing many people, most people, have no idea that the devices are capable. Of yeah, doing I mean, these things. how many times it happens that uh, there are features available on you know the phone or computer, and you show people that they can do them, and they had no idea. Which, to some degree, I think it goes back to 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 that critique to to Apple would say they are not doing enough 
for people to discover these features, which I mean, it's, it's tough, uh, isn't it? Because uh, if it's popping up all the time, it's going to annoy people. If you, if they could maybe write it up more than they do, but then that's going to require people to go and look. But I, I mm. think I, I do think that uh, there has been a tendency over the last. Uh, probably four or five uh, generation, especially of iOS, uh, in, you know, making it much nicer and more polished, but uh, also removing a lot of indicators. I mean, for example, buttons are no, not buttons anymore. If you look across mm-hmm. iOS, uh, most uh, buttons is just text that you are supposed to, 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 to tap. And, you know, mostly you remember that that is how you interact with it but you know it's not as visible as a, a button as something that reminds yeah, asking to be pressed so i mean i'm not saying that we need to go back to you know stitched leather skeuomorphic UIs. I was, I was thinking, that horror raised its prospect yeah but uh, but uh, there is there might be a place between that and the and the current uh, very very plain, which maybe there might actually I might have read somewhere that they are doing it. I I haven't really had the time to look at all the new announcement on iOS twelve, uh, so there might 13. actually be thirteen. Sorry, so there might actually be changes. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because just as you're sort of we're, we're talking about the skeuomorphism and helping people and triggers and stuff, thinking about. The work context and, you know, both, both of my work context in a sense. I mean, when I was in Australia, I was talking to a group of enterprise architects who, you know, enterprise architecture, for those who don't know, is the, is the IT thing of trying to make sure that all the systems uh, do the right things, connect in the right ways, talk to each other, and that the whole thing hangs together in a sensible way rather than a sort of patchwork of different bits and pieces that don't talk to each other. And this group, interestingly, I thought, were beginning to expand their offering into organization design and i also met somebody who was combining it and hr you know she she was head of both it and hr and i think that's an interesting and long needed i think combination of perspectives on the organization that 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 we need to be thinking about what we're doing with the technology and what the consequences are and what what people will how, how people will benefit from it and, you know, so much business software is, is really pretty awful and, and people are using it at a very, very rudimentary level. But you could imagine as more of the systems join up and the consequences of different actions within the systems become more visible, you could have some very productive prompts to people that would help them be more effective in, in what they're doing. And, the reason I mentioned the other side of my work is, is driving trucks and just the whole thing about cars and, you know, watching my dad with a new car and there's all it's all electronic. And, or even me, I was driving a Mercedes van the other day there and um, got caught out in the first instance to the fact that it had USB-C sockets on it so I had no blooming connections for it. Um, but then everything was sort of virtual on the dashboard and there was no buttons anywhere and their iconography was unfamiliar to me and I felt very akin to my dad thinking all I want is a switch <laughs> you know I just I just want a mechanical switch that I can switch on and off and I know something will happen um so you know as I say I, in both of those directions I think there's so much coolness that could happen in a work context that would make stuff easier but there's also some incredible potential for mess 
I think that what is uh, what is interesting in all these different aspects uh, is that there is the a centrality of the task of a designer, where yes. you 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 not only design you know the product or the interaction, but you design the action and you design the purpose, and you basically yes. go back to the very bottom of the of the challenges of a of a of a organiza- any type of organization and you yes. try to to create something from there i mean i'm a lot of the work that we do with startup is around uh, mm, trying to design the strategy of a company so that by the time they actually start building a product they do the right thing they build the stuff that is at the top of their priorities because all too often you have companies that uh, think they have a technology problem but they really have a strategy problem the the challenge is that they're doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons so The, the the struggles they might have with technology is really just a symptom of a of a of a problem in designing their strategy, and I think well, that hen, hen, partly hence my comment about it's easier to digitize their dysfunctions than to deal with them, because because even existing organisations you know maybe not starting from scratch but they will try to fix what are people problems with with technology. Oh, absolutely. I mean, w- w- one area which is absolutely where you, you can see the most extreme examples of this is uh, Italian bureaucracy um, <laughs> where you know you have these uh, hard convoluted system that get turned into more hard and more convoluted technology and uh, and and then everybody's telling themselves yes. how sophisticated and advanced we are because we are the only ones who have this technology. Nobody actually wonders why why that doesn't anybody else have it. <laughs> Maybe because they don't need it. And it's uh, and it's yes, uh, so true. Uh, but it is a, a you know a consequence of trying to digitize uh, the wrong thing. Is a consequence yep. of yep. Uh, instead of trying to solve a problem and to look deeper in why you're doing something. You just start doing it in a different way, and uh, but I think it is profound how design, how teaching everybody to design is going to become important. The the design thinking. I'm I'm not saying design thinking. Trademark. <laughs> and, 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 no, because I mean that's that's a bit like everything else, like agile. No, no, right, it's, I, it's been I, overdone, hasn't it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think there are very useful tools there, but then you know, again, using the tools is not enough. Uh, but this idea of trying to deconstruct a problem and then trying to build a solution based on the on on what you have discovered in the process of deconstructing yeah. is very very helpful, and it is helpful. If you want to create your own smart uh, macro by talking to Siri, it is helpful if you want to create uh, the next cool app as a startup, and it is useful if you're trying to make your company work better. I mean, yeah. there, is, there is no AI that is going to replace that, that bit. I mean... Ooh, it, Really? Yes, I do. I think that uh, I think that uh, 
deconstructing problems, uh, deconstructing at least complex problems uh, is still going to be something quite human for a while. Mm, sure. once you have once you have understood what the problem is i'm pretty sure that there might be a, a ui that will help you to put it back together do you not think it's possible it to better? sort of just track track consequences you know i was making the jokey point about tracking meetings and whatever happens at the, as a result of them you would be able to make well possibly for the first time visible the mess and the inefficiencies of an organisation, I mean, that's, again, sort of what happens when you put a technology and it suddenly makes you aware of all the issues. Um, But I can imagine tools being able to track consequences, work out what triggered those consequences, and then do a better job of eliminating some of those triggers. I think... think Probably the the truth is somewhere in the middle, in the sense that <laughs> of, of course, course there is. will be uh, there there are methodologies that will allow you to improve and and make things more efficient. At the same time, I think that uh, you know very often designing a solution doesn't mean making something more efficient. It means making something completely different. Mm-hmm. That's true. And uh, and while I do agree that an mm. AI will be allow you to optimize things, an AI will allow you to you know you optimize the use of your time, or you know point and the three people that we need to fire in this organization because they attend a meeting all day long and they are completely useless, but uh, it will not allow you to say well maybe we should do something completely different yeah maybe we're not really solving the problem that what is the core problem that we're solving the, the challenge is not how efficient we are from a meeting to the other it's what are we trying to achieve as an organization in long term because we might be incredibly efficient uh, at doing nothing or we might be not particularly great but we're changing the world one little step at a time so, so that was partly why I ended up my article about ideology of algorithms by by suggesting we could get AI to write our next ism, mm-hmm. um, in a similar vein. Because is it about? It's really interesting. This I mean, is progress is greater collective happiness or, or satisfaction a process of eliminating? Problems, or is it about creating entirely new, exciting? Or op- you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're sort of getting assistance from the technology, as you rightly said, right at the very beginning, at a basic level. But that potential for assistance is going to just expand, and it's, it's like this whole thing about working out what our USP is. How does it assist us? Um, which bits are we better at? Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, from the collaboration between natural and artificial intelligences, you know, we might be able, to, we we will eventually be able to create uh, superhumans. Um, and uh, we will be able to to improve ourselves 
by bouncing off these uh, other mm-hmm. type of organizations uh, yeah. of, of entities. But at the same time, the thing is that as humans, we are living in this collective belief system that uh, that AIs will probably struggle to interpret. And until we get to that point, yeah. did you see the TV show Chernobyl? No, I haven't seen it, no. Uh, it, it's it's interesting, but probably what one of the most interesting aspects is that uh, y- you have a description of the Soviet society, which is uh, completely not true. The, the Russians actually have said they are going to do their own version of the show where yeah. they will show that the American did it. But let's say in this completely fictional interpretation of the of what the Soviet society might have looked like. Uh, from the point of view of an American writer, there is a system where everybody believes in, or everybody pretends they believe in a system. They don't, mm-hmm. but they have to pretend. So they <laughs> and they yeah. they do this against science. So basically, the reason why no one is uh, scrambling for the emergency is because there cannot possibly be a, yes, an accident yes. in the Soviet yes. in a Soviet society and they stick with the story no matter what the evidence is now that is extreme but to some well, degree we do we do it all the time exactly yeah, yeah. to some mm. degree the funny thing is that you know we do it all the time we at at, uh, at different levels but we're all playing our parts and we're all playing our parts even when we know that it's a fake but you know it is part of being members of a society that's right so the, the the impact that uh, that uh, and to some degree, going to meetings is part of uh, us playing right. a role. Right. Having a job is part of that. I mean, the group I was working with in in Australia was Jobs Australia, who look after help support people who are looking for work. And you know, we got into the whole thing about the nature of a job, the status of a job, the sense of self that you get from having a job, and what happens when those things start to disappear. And uh, you're right; we we get very stuck in our stories and it's sometimes just out of fear of letting them go and not knowing what's going to happen uh, you know the challenge is that stories give us uh, ide- define our identity so you can't just mm-hmm. walk into this room with your scottish accent and say oh you don't need a job because i mean it's it's yeah. it's hard people <laughs> will, people will try to to resist that and and you somebody to tell me about it <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i know so uh, it it is interesting to think how introducing systems that are optimizing the the processes and that are trying to interpret the logic processes how much will they understand of the nature of these stories well and you mentioned something about natural intelligence earlier and there was a fantastic Joe Rogan podcast with a geneticist recently mm-hmm. um which was just genuinely mind-blowing and terrifying around what we can do now that we, we understand DNA and can manipulate it, uh, and manipulate the genome. And, you know, again, hugely potentially positive and exciting possibilities, but all of them with a very dark underside. And he then, at the end of this thing, they, they got into the combination of 
of genetics and AI because the guy was saying, you know, basically the genome is a data store. You know, the, 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 it's the data that collecting all the DNA gives them mm-hmm. that's giving them these opportunities to see patterns in that data and do something with mm-hmm. genetics. And so in a way, I mean, this is why recently the story that, you know, America, um, Trump making statements about the NHS and, you know, the amount of data that the NHS has about the population of the UK and our illnesses and our, you know, is massive and it's incredibly valuable. And the thought of that just suddenly waltzing off to some commercial interest in America is horrendous. And so that whole, you know, even the natural world is, is, is <laughs> we're already buggering it up to some extent, but we could get so much worse. Well, I, I guess that the challenge is that we have reached the point where we have more data that human mind can cope with. Well, and that's why I sometimes think it's a false, sort of almost anthropomorphic to compare. So you almost did this when we were talking about design. And it's almost like we're comparing AI with our form of intelligence and the bits that we relish and we, we, we hold dear in our form of intelligence. But it might be that AI and vast amounts of data generate whole, no, whole new types of intelligence that we just don't even understand. No, exactly, exactly. But the, the point is that for sure... We we cannot do anything with this amount of data. I mean, our brain is just not useful to process that data. So (laughs) we can feed the data. We can feed the data to machines and see what they come up with. And uh, even if we are creating these machines, the the there is a certain degree of uh, unpredictability, not only on the base results but also on the meta results and how these. thinking systems will evolve did you, you you said predictability did you mean unpredictability yes sorry yeah i was going to say that, that, that's the fear that's the worry that that we can't even keep up with understanding what they're doing never be, never mind being able to do it yeah and on this happy we'll go, note we'll, 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 i was going to say we've got to end on a cheerful note Paolo. yeah i was saying but hey while the world's ending i can do all this cool stuff with my watch and on this happy note, uh, <laughs> I'm noticing that we are above the... Even even once I edit this down, it's going to be more than half an hour, uh, oh, which I no, think is an unbearable really. time. I apologize to our <laughs> listeners that we dragged this so long. Um, so the re- as we said, uh, the future is going to be dark as far as the healthcare and the future of humankind, but uh, we will be able to talk to our watch. And it's going it's to it's be miserable, but we'll last longer. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, see you next time. Bye.